Let us pray. Gracious God, like baptism, your word is a gift. It is a gift that delights and surprises us, challenges and convicts us. Open our hearts and minds to receive this gift today with gratitude and joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our first reading this morning comes from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. A shoot shall come out from the stock of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
We continue our sermon series, Making Room for What?, reflecting on passages from the prophet Isaiah, among some uh, familiar New Testament passages, and on the images given to us by the hymn, People Look East. Today's image is Love the Rose. And our second scripture reading is from Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 45. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me? That the mother of my Lord comes to me. For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, 
The child in my womb leapt for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Bertie and Maureen were longtime members of the church I served in Belfast, Northern Ireland. Shortly after I met them, Bertie invited me to come and see his garden. Prepare yourself, Maureen told me. It's his pride and joy. Well, there was no preparing myself for Bertie's garden. I've still never seen anything quite like it. Hundreds of varieties of flowers in every color, size, and shape. But nothing in that garden gave Bertie more pride and more joy than his roses. Roses, he made clear, were nearly impossible to cultivate in the wet, cloudy climate of Northern Ireland. Maybe that's when I got it in my head that roses are difficult flowers to grow. I am a very amateur gardener, but I feel particularly intimidated by roses, and my attempts to grow them haven't helped. Every source I consult right after they say, growing roses is easy, follows with a list of complicated instructions and warnings that, if not heeded, apparently spell disaster. It seems that roses are fussy. And they need just the right conditions to grow and thrive. And the first step, the most important step, is always preparing the soil. Preparation, of course, is what this season of Advent is all about. And it's easy at this point in mid-December to get overwhelmed by all the things it takes to get the holidays right. Like preparing soil for a rose bush... We prepare our homes and our churches with lights and decorations. We prepare for gift exchanges and concerts and parties. And sometimes as an afterthought, we prepare our hearts for God to come to us as love the rose. In today's reading from Isaiah, we hear that a shoot shall come out from the stock of Jesse, a branch shall grow out of his roots. The prophet is comforting his people who are in despair. He's calling them to pay attention because God is coming to save them from violence and oppression and fear. Isaiah predicts that God will act through a leader who can trace his lineage to King David. That's the shoot that shall come from the stock of Jesse, Jesse being David's father. But centuries later... When the promised Messiah comes as Jesus, he is not what anyone expects. Yes, as the prophet predicts, he is strong, but more in wisdom and understanding than in military might. And yes, he's a leader, but not just of his people, of all people. And his knowledge of the Lord leads him to care mostly for the poor and the oppressed. Jesus is not what people expected, which is why it was so hard for them to accept that Jesus was indeed the ancestor of David they had been waiting for. And to make matters worse, his arrival was shocking and unexpected when he was born as every other human child is born, but in his case to a poor teenage girl from a backwater town from which nothing good 
was believed to come. In 1993, after more than 10 years as a food writer for the Los Angeles Times, Ruth Reichel moved back to her native New York City to become the food critic for the New York Times, a position she held for six years. Her first major review was of the famous Le Cirque restaurant in Manhattan, and she was convinced that as soon as it was published, she was going to be fired. She wrote the review in two parts, dinner as an unknown diner, and dinner as a most favored patron. She wrote, over the course of five months, I ate five meals at Le Cirque. It was not until the fourth that the owner figured out who I was. When I was discovered, the change was startling. Everything improved. The seating, the service, the size of the portions. We had already reached dessert, but our little plate of petite fours was whisked away to be replaced by a larger, more ostentatious one. An avalanche of sweets descended upon the table, and I was fascinated to note that the raspberries on the new desserts were three times the size of those on the old ones. Reichel goes on to explain how, as an unknown diner, she was treated like dirt made to wait long past her reservation time, seated in the smoking section, even though she'd asked for non-smoking, it was the early 90s, prevented from ordering the wine of her choice. But when she showed up the fifth time as herself, not in disguise, the owner recognized her, and even though she showed up an hour early for her reservation, she writes that he parted a waiting crowd of patrons like the Red Sea and led her and her guests to a large, centrally located table. Two flutes of champagne immediately appeared. The king of Spain is waiting at the bar, the owner told her, but your table is ready. When the owner left them, Reichel said sarcastically to her companion, oh yeah, the king of Spain is at the bar. Her companion looked over and remarked, Actually, he is at the bar. I saw him on TV last night, and that's him. It's easy to imagine how a young girl named Mary was treated when she became pregnant before she and her fiancé Joseph were married, especially when Joseph knows the baby is not his. In her hometown, around people who would have known her all her life, we can imagine the gossip, the disdainful looks, the raised eyebrows. It's no wonder Mary decides to get out of town to visit her cousin, whom she has heard is also in the midst of a surprising pregnancy. Unlike Mary, Elizabeth was elderly and believed to be barren, but like Mary, a pregnancy was the last thing she expected. And as soon as Mary greets her, the baby in Elizabeth's womb, who would grow up to be John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus, that baby leaps for joy. He is the first to recognize Mary as the mother of the Lord, God incarnate. Christian tradition has long identified Mary, the mother of Jesus, with the rose, that flower that is the paragon of beauty and grace it's why so many sanctuaries have rose windows and why the Catholic practice of praying with beads is called the rosary. Mary becomes the rose when God chooses 
her in defiance of convention and expectation. And although her initial response suggests she was surprised, she was also in a way prepared, at least prepared enough to consent to God's invitation with the words, let it be with me according to your will. God chooses Mary to bear the King of Kings and Prince of Peace, and it is a choice as surprising and wondrous as a rose blooming in the middle of winter or a journalist seated in a crowded restaurant while a king waits at the bar. In a recent article, Ryan Bonfilio, an Old Testament professor, writes about the wall that separates Israel from the Palestinian-controlled West Bank. This wall is located within a mile of the traditional site of Jesus' birth, and on the Bethlehem side, it has become a canvas for protest art. Ryan writes, from end to end, the wall is graffitied with images and words that are equal parts provocative and prophetic. Some images hold a mirror up to the reality of everyday life, bearing witness to the trauma and grief that accompanies a walled-in city. Other images dare to visualize a world transformed and healed. Still others seem to function as an invocation to prayer. One image, which you can see on the front of your bulletin today, is of a woman whose outstretched arms flutter, from whose arms flutter doves, that traditional symbol of peace. Is she Lady Wisdom from Proverbs 8, or God's Holy Spirit? Or maybe a teenage Mary, yearning for a more peaceful world for her newborn son. Reflecting on this public art illustration, a form of protest in the midst of violence, division, and oppression, it might bring our minds to the base of the Lee Monument here in Richmond. Ryan wonders, what if we began thinking of the Incarnation as a form of divine protest art, meant to mobilize responses of peace-building and conflict transformation, and to inspire hope, even when, or especially when, such hope is beyond imagination. He points out that Jesus was not born in Rome or Jerusalem or Alexandria, the places at that time of political influence and power and wealth and sophistication, places which would have made much more sense as the birthplace of the Messiah. Instead, Ryan writes, God risked proximity with humanity in a place that was deeply broken. Like it is today, Bethlehem in the first century was a place in which poverty, political strife, sectarianism, and violence abounded. Ryan concludes, the word became flesh in this sort of place as an expression of protest against the ugly realities that tear apart our world then and now. God risked proximity with humanity in a place that was deeply broken. That is the good news of Advent and Christmas, the good news of the incarnation. God chooses the most unlikely people and places again and again and again. God delights 
in taking the most ill-prepared soil and proving it can produce the most beautiful blossoms, which means God might even choose our time and our place to come near again. God might even choose us. And before you protest that, remember, love the rose does not grow in perfectly tended soil of an expertly manicured garden. Love the rose does not win prizes for its exceptional color or size or beauty. What distinguishes love the rose is precisely that it blooms where we least expect it, in places and in people that look unremarkable and unworthy. That is the kind of master gardener God is, choosing even people like us in whom to plant seeds of love and hope, peace and justice. God invites us to participate in the making of divine protest art and dares us to believe and prepare for the promised reign of the one who brings hope and peace, joy and love, the one who could turn even our broken world into the most magnificent of gardens. Amen.